0: Hello, humans. Hello, humans of the world. It is me, Ellie Krug, with Ellie 2.0 Radio. How are you? Hello. Talking to you from the bunker in <laughs> Prairie, Minnesota, at AM 950. I am thrilled to be back talking to you. I'm thrilled to uh, be uh, be your voice on the last day of April of uh, 2022. And let me just tell you, good riddance, April. Um, if you're in Minnesota, you know why I just said that, okay? And if you're not, let me just tell you, this has been the coldest April on record uh, and the windiest. It has not at all been like spring. Uh, it has been like uh, the end of February. It really ha- I, st- I haven't put my winter coat out away yet. Nope, Still I wore gloves this morning to walk, Jack. So, there you go. Okay, well, we have a great show. Uh, The big interview, I'm still working on as we actually do this, so you're going to have to be in suspense (laughs) about what the big interview will be. And my C-block, to the extent I have any time, I'm going to talk about my work as an idealist. I've got something to talk about, about something that I think is important, and hopefully we will be able to get to that. Um, So, but let's begin Uh, Hold on. Ellie's making a note. I think I'm not very professional right now. Okay, let's begin, though, in my A block. um, And in lieu of highlighting a featured idealist, which is something, of course, that I usually do in the A block, uh, I'd like to talk about a very important article um, that appeared in the May issue of the Atlantic magazine. By the way, don't get me started on how much I love the Atlantic. Okay, the article is titled, quote, After Babel. How Social Media Dissolved the Mortar of Society and Made America Stupid by Jonathan Haidt. It's an incredibly informative article and begins by highlighting that when Facebook, Friendster, and MySpace came into force in the early 2000s, the hope was that we would all become better connected with friends and family, strengthen our ties, and that this would then be the marketplace of ideas for the free flow of information. And that it would, it would buttress our great democracy. As hate writes, what dictator could impose his will on an interconnected citizenry? What regime could build a wall to keep out the internet? Unquote. However, he then goes on to write, well, he goes on to write this. The high point of the techno-democratic optimism was arguably 2011 a year that began with the Arab Spring and ended with the global Occupy movement. That is also when Google Translate became available on virtually all smartphones. So you could say that 2011 was the year that humanity rebuilt the Tower of Babel. I'm not going to get into the Tower of Babel. I don't have enough time to do that. We were closer than we had ever been to being one people, and we had effectively overcome the curse of division by language. For techno-democratic optimist it seemed to be the o- seemed to be only the beginning of what humanity could do. In February 2012 as he prepared to take Facebook public Mark Zuckerberg reflected on these extraordinary times and set forth his plans. Today our society has reached another tipping point he wrote in a letter to investors. Facebook hoped quote, to rewire the way people spread and consume information, unquote. By giving them, quote, the power to share, unquote, it would give them once again, it would help them to once again transform many of our core institutions and industries. In the 10 years since then, Zuckerberg did exactly what he said he would. He did rewrite the way we spread and consume information. He did transform our institutions and he pushed us past the tipping point, only – It has not worked out as he expected. So hate uh, uh, hate reasons that that things fell apart beginning in the early 2000s. Excuse me, the early 210s, when Facebook gave users the ability to like posts and when Twitter gave users the ability to retweet posts, effectively acting as an endorsement to something someone has written. Facebook then copied Twitter with the creation of the share button. Facebook also at that time began to use algorithms to bring to users content that would be most likely to generate a like or a share so Facebook starts sending information, sending things to users, so that they they can like it, so that they can share about it. Eventually, research showed that posts uh, that trigger emotions, especially posts which. Other, quote unquote, other people were most likely to be shared. So what Facebook finds is that stuff that kind of marginalizes other people, that makes you feel good because those people are lesser than you, that's the kind of stuff that got shared the most. These mechanisms, according to Hate, transform the internet from a marketplace of ideas to a platform for intense mobbing. Hate writes, by 2013, social media had become a new game with dynamics unlike those in 2008. If you were skillful or lucky, you might create a post that would go viral and make you internet famous for a few days. If you blundered, you could find yourself buried in hateful comments. Your post rode to fame or ig- <laughs> ignominy or ignorance, okay, based – hold on a second, Patrick. We got to go back on that. Darn it. I'm so sorry. Can we pick it up with by uh, 2013? Yeah, no problem. Sorry. Uh, Start up when you're ready. Okay. By 2013, social media had become a new game with dynamics unlike those in 2008. If you were skillful or lucky, you might create a post that would go viral and make you internet famous for a few days. If you blundered, you could find yourself buried in hateful comments. Your post rode to fame uh, or – in- invisibility based on the clicks of thousands of strangers, and you in turn contributed thousands of clicks to the game. This new game encouraged dishonesty and mob dynamics. Users were guided not just by their true preferences, but by their past experiences of reward and punishment, and their prediction of how others would react to the new action. One of the engineers at Twitter, who had worked on the retweet button, later revealed that he had regretted his contribution because it made Twitter. A nastier place. As he watched Twitter mobs forming through the use of the new tool, he thought of himself: quote, "We might have just handed a four-year-old a loaded weapon." Unquote. So, so these new devices get created on Facebook and on Twitter, and they allow people to 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 become. You know, overnight sensations and often that overnight sensation is because they are othering, they're marginalizing somebody. To make all of this exceedingly relevant to, mo- to, to democracy, hate notes that the framers of the Constitution were extremely fearful over how anger and hatred could spread like wildfire. He writes, quote, it was just this kind of twitchy and explosive fred- f- Expl- Ellie, you've got to get better on this stuff. Explosive spread of anger that James Madison had tried to protect us from when he was drafting the U.S. Constitution. The framers of the Constitution were excellent social psychologists. They knew that democracy had an Achilles heel because it depended on the collective judgment of the people. And democratic communities are subject to, quote, the turbulency and weakness of unruly passions. Those are Madison's words. The key to designing a sustainable republic, therefore, was to build into mechanisms to slow things down. Cool passions require a compromise and give leaders uh, some insulation from the mania of the moment while still holding them accountable to the people periodically on Election Day. The tech companies that enhanced virality from 2009 to 2012 brought us deep into Madison's nightmare. Many authors quote his comments in Federalist Number 10 ...on the innate human proclivity towards faction, by which he meant our tendency to divide ourselves into teams or parties that are so inflamed with, quote, mutual anim- animosity that they are, quote, much more disposed to vex and oppress each other than to cooperate for their common good, unquote. Thus, by allowing... Fringe elements, the power to measure, to message to millions in the United States and hundreds of millions across the world, these fringe elements had the ability now through Facebook and Twitter in particular, the ability to go mainstream. Remember, it's emotion that people react to. And I would argue negative emotion motivates people far more than positive emotion. And as hate notes when the small subset of jerks dominate discussion forums reasonable people turn out they stop contributing to the discussion which in turn helps the jerks amplify their harmful messaging there's nobody there on the platform to disagree with them in a respectful way then there is the phenomenon of confirmation bias So everyone, this is where we only associate with or seek out sources of information that confirm our beliefs. Uh, That would be the case for some people who are listening to this station right now. In the absence of – hold on, (laughs) turn the page – of opposing information, we become stupider and more stupider. Now, everyone, for the record, I'm not calling anyone who listens to this, this show or this station stupid. But what we do by that use of the phrase stupider is that we narrow our view of the world. And I'll tell you, this happened – yours truly. This is happening to me with, your, with the Ukraine war where I only read stories, OK, and see images of Ukrainians winning. That's what I look for, OK? Um, and I avoid stories of the Russians winning. I do. I avoid those because it hurts my heart. But at least I understand that there are two sides to the war. And that the outcome is uncertain and I understand exactly what I'm doing by trying to avoid those Russian winning stories. Hate writes, quote, the most reliable cure for confirmation bias is interaction with people who don't share your beliefs. And it is so absolutely true. Not that I'm all-knowing, okay, but as I've talked about on this show repeatedly, I'm finding that I interact with people in Victoria, Minnesota who aren't LGBTQ and, even, and who are even religiously conservative. When I interact with those folks, quote, t- quotation marks around those, okay, barriers start to fade away. Proof. The dinner invites I've been receiving from religiously conservative people. They want me over. They want to spend time with me and not to convert me just because they kind of like me. So with this background, we see that those who have the strongest conservative values often believe that America is under attack, that they are – that they personally are under attack and that their future is at risk as well as the country's. Social media, with the absence of reasonable people who can dissent, only amplifies that messaging you know and if you disagree with that message that america's under attack that they're under attack you get labeled right away as a traitor so that's that f- that's even factionalism within the group okay thus this makes it easier for people to embrace authoritarianism like that represented by our former president this is also happening on the left it does it happens to but we're all human we are. And so where you disagree with a proposition of the extreme left, let's say defund the police, suddenly you're labeled a racist or a Karen. So how do we get beyond the horror that we're experiencing? How do we get past it? Well, hate argues for three things. First, reform social media so that people can't willy-nilly share content and so that all users need to be verified as real humans and not as bots. I mean, a lot of the messaging that's going out now is through algorithms, programs where it's bots. It's not even humans sending out those messages. Secondly, educate our children. Hate's got this wonderful, wonderful proposition. He's, <laughs> Hate writes, let our children play outside without adult supervision. So that they learn the rules of what it means to be in a society where they've got to learn about sharing. They've got to learn about waiting their turn. They've got to learn about compromise. They've got to learn all of those things. Right now, we got kids who parents will not let them go outside because, my God, what will happen? You know, and so the kids are stuck at home in front of a computer. They're not learning any of those rules. Thirdly, what hate says is we need to harden our democratic institutions. One suggestion is to end closed party primaries and replace them with a single nonpartisan open primary with ranked choice voting. Hate cites this system, which exists in Alaska, as the reason that Senator Lisa Murkowski sometimes, with that word emphasized, takes more moderate stances because she knows she's not going to get primaried, not going to get primaried by the Republican Party in Alaska. There you go. OK, I have given you a lot here. Um, I highly, highly recommend that you go to The Atlantic, search out this article titled, quote, After Babel, How Social Media Dissolved, the Mortar of Society and Made America Stupid by Jonathan Haidt. Highly recommend it. OK? And I f- recommend also two things. You find a conservative outlet that seems moderate, OK? Not extreme. And I'm recommending you start following it. Start Seeing what moderate conservatives have to say, okay? Because we need to expand our world. And secondly, here's what I recommend be brave. Invite someone with opposing views out to coffee. Tell them you'd like to rekindle that friendship that had gone cold. And who knows what good for you and for America might come from you doing that. There you go. Okay, all right. I, I didn't feature an idealist. I went into depth in this article. Hopefully you found it of, of value. I, I, I thought the article was fascinating and it explains a lot about how America got to where it is right now. Okay, we're going to take a break and then we're going to have the uh, um, uh, the big interview. And again, it's still a mystery, even for me. <laughs> uh, the perils of taped music, taped uh, shows. So there you go. We'll be back in a second. You're listening to me. Ellie Krug on Ellie 2.0 Radio. On AM 950 with Ellie Krug, Ellie 2.0 Radio. Oh my goodness, you know, uh, Daniel Ellsberg, let me just tell you um, the guts and the courage that it took for him to do what he did try and change the course of the Vietnam War, try and change the course of American politics, try and change the course of America. Well, um, we are now uh, ready for the big interview with somebody else who has who is an idealist like ellsberg who is also trying to change the course but probably not as big on the line I have David Liners um, from Wisconsin and uh from an organization in Wisconsin called Wisdom also the executive director of another organization uh named Micah David welcome to LE2.0 radio
1: Thank you thank you it's good to be here
0: Oh well it's great to have you and uh <clears throat> and David Um, I, you know, I think that you have a really, really compelling story. And as you and I talked, I mean, LE 2.0 radio is about idealists. When I heard about you and and then you and I spoke uh, to prepare for the show, I was like, oh yeah, this is a real idealist. So David, if you could, would you, let's start out by you explaining a little bit about what wisdom is in Wisconsin and then Micah. M-I-C-A-H, and then I, we'll get your story a little bit, but let's at least give the, the listeners an idea of why you're on the show relative to those two organizations.
1: Sure. So, Wisdom is a, it's a network of primarily, but not exclusively, faith-based organizations around the state of Wisconsin. There's about a dozen organizations. Uh, we work, basically, our, our job is uh, to make sure that ordinary people uh, get a chance to stop being either victims or bystanders and actually get involved in the public arena and actually take on uh, some of the issues that affect their lives. So uh, a lot of people coming to us from a faith vantage point. We have 19 different religions, kind of ranging from Catholics to Lutherans to Buddhists to Muslims and uh, Jewish congregations. Uh, We also have a lot of people who come to us directly as uh, formerly incarcerated people or people who just simply want to get involved in some of the issues that, um, that we work with. So that's the statewide network, and MICA is the oldest organization in the network. MICA in Milwaukee has been around for 30 years. Uh, kind of been doing this work ever since then. Micah is Milwaukee Inner City Congregations Allied for Hope. A real quick little correction. I'm not actually the executive director of Micah. That position is actually open. I'm the executive director for Wisdom, but Micah is part of the umbrella. Ah, of the group.
0: Okay. All right. Well, that's great. I thought that you had had the direct relationship with Micah. Um, I'm a
1: member of Micah. Okay. That's you where know, I started. That's, yeah.
0: Okay. All right. Well, that's, uh, that's great. So the executive director of Wisdom and. Um, and so, uh, um, we'll get, all right. So I just wanted to lay that groundwork. Let's get, let's get to you first now, David, and, um, tell us a little bit about your story. You're not too far off from my age. You're 60 years old. You grew up in, you grew up in Wisconsin, right? I did. Okay, yeah. and um, you told me it was uh, pretty much a leave it to Beaver kind of household life that you had growing up in the in the '60s, and so take us take us forward to what got you to a place where um, you're doing some pretty radical things in Wisconsin as it relates to getting people to be socially conscious. Yeah.
1: So, um, I like you say, I grew up in a very uh, relatively comfortable uh small town existence my dad was a dentist you know my parents had both grown up during the depression in northern minnesota um uh-huh. so i certainly knew about kind of their background but i you know my dad was uh, kind of a uh standard kind of greatest generation kind of guy went to world war ii came out went through school on the gi bill and Uh, worked his way through dental school, worked in a foundry at night and went to dental school during the day. And that was kind of the story I grew up with. And uh, that, you know, the world is such that if you work hard and you're an honest person like my dad, things will work out for you. You'll, you'll end up, you know, um, you'll end up with a good life.
0: A view, a view that the world was fair, right?
1: Yeah, right. That the world was fair and that it was just kind of set up that you basically, you get what you work for. And uh, I really believed that. That's what everybody taught me. And um, the turning point for me on that in my life is when I was in college, I wasn't quite sure what I wanted to do when I grew up. I'd been an exchange student in high school, so I spoke Spanish. And I, um, I volunteered to work in a mission in rural Guatemala for, um, for a time. And it was when I was there that a whole lot of things happened, including a massacre just up the road.
0: From, oh, my uh, God. So what year, what year would this have been in Guatemala?
1: Would have been in 1978.
0: Okay, uh, and was this this was before their um, civil war or or while it was, it was going? In, on?
1: It was kind of in the midst of it. Okay, all uh, right. Was, uh, so you know, we actually there was a whole village of people like you know, so we were in a small town, but the mission included all these kind of very remote indigenous villages. Um, one of the priests in the mission went to one of the villages, and it was gone, like. Not just people, a few people disappeared. An entire village was disappeared. oh, my God. Um, and it's suddenly, through a whole lot of such experiences and just the experience of watching children dying of dysentery, um, you know, that it suddenly just hit me like a ton of bricks that it's like, you know what? They lied to me
0: so uh, so your story, I'm going to interrupt you here, but yeah. your story is not at all unlike the. Um, enlightenment that came to Daniel Ellsberg about his experience you know he was in Vietnam and uh, he went to Vietnam um, and saw what the government was doing both the South um, Vietnamese government and the American but the South Vietnamese were doing it at the American behest and and seeing all of the all of the horror so you have that in common with Ellsberg but go on go on please
1: Right. So it just kind of came to me that, you know, what worked for my dad and for my mom didn't work for a whole lot of people. But there's a whole lot of people that work hard and be an honest person and things are going to work out for you. And I think that was kind of the moment that I realized I kind of I have to do something different. I can't. Uh, I have to. There's part of me that's still an idealist, that's still in that sense. I believe that's the way the world ought to be. I think it ought to work out for everybody like it worked out for my dad. Um, Absolutely. And I I have a very hard time accepting that it doesn't. And as a matter of fact, to this day, you know, we do a lot of work in criminal justice reform and stuff. And I hear stories, and my first reaction is, well, that can't possibly be. The world can't possibly be that unfair to some people. Um, And Mm. then it's like, well, sure enough, it can, you know, and it is. And so that's the thing that just kind of won't let me
0: rest. But, David, we do not have to accept it we do that we do not we do not have to just let it come and lie with us and then we we participate in it or we put up with it we do not have to do that and so and and you recognize that that's why i'm having you here on the show because i'm telling you as you're speaking you are further inspiring me elite krug idealist so i just want you to know that okay so david all right so we're gonna have to take a break right now but when we come back um, we'll talk further with you. And um, so listeners, we've been speaking to uh, David uh, Liners about um, his work in Wisconsin as an idealist. When we come back, we'll talk more uh, about that. If you like what you hear on LA 2.0 Radio, and we are bringing you people like David bringing you stories about people making differences in the world. If you like what you hear, go to my website at elliekrug.com, sign up for my newsletter The Ripple, or email me at elliejkrug at gmail.com. We'll be back in a minute to talk further with David. are back on L.A. 2.0 Radio. Oh my goodness, we're speaking with David Liners um, who is, I think uh, fair to say, an activist idealist in Wisconsin um, involved with an organization named Wisdom. Um, But before we get uh, further about Wisdom, David, when we broke for our break, you were telling us about your experience in Central America, particularly in Guatemala, where you saw the horrors of what work could do to people as well as as disease and all of the other things that go um, with people who are the have-nots versus the haves and and this have impacted you and so you saw this in Guatemala and then what happened what how did your how did your trajectory change sure so the the
1: people that I worked with uh, were uh, actually Catholic priests and nuns. The priests were members of a religious order called the Claritian Missionaries, a fairly small group uh, that came from Spain. And so my first sense was, maybe this is what I need to be. I need to kind of join them. So I went. I came back and went to the seminary and uh, was a Catholic priest on the south side of Chicago for about 11 years, working mostly in great-state Mexican parishes. And um, you really saw that as a, as a path to try to kind of bring about change, to kind of uh, connect uh, with people. It was, uh, it was very similar. I was working with very similar people to who I had known in Guatemala, but they were, they were here now. Um, so that's, uh, that's kind of where that took me at first for, for 11 years. And it was a very happy 11 years, as a matter of fact, uh, that I served as a priest.
0: Okay. And, but, but then that changed for you.
1: It's good. Um, you know, it was uh, one of the trainings that we do in community organizing training, we talk about you know your public life and your private life. So I really liked my public life as a priest. I liked my job, but I didn't particularly like my life after work. <laughs> like, I was sort of like, I just kind of yearned to have a home to go to.
0: Well, uh, and a priest I, is always yeah. on 24 hours, so... You know?
1: Well, right, and um, so, anyhow, at some point, I was kind of in my late 30s, and I thought, you know, I I don't want to become uh, kind of, I don't know what you'd want to say, kind of dried up, I don't want to become somebody who's just a functionary and who's only their job, that I need to, I, I need to kind of move, and I need to uh, explore at least having a family and being married and things, so that's, I left that, and came, I moved back up to Wisconsin, I went to Milwaukee, I unloaded trucks at UPS for a while, I worked at the welfare office for a while, in the meantime, my wife and I, my current, my my wife now and I, uh, got engaged and got married, and um, I found MICA, the organization here, um, in Milwaukee, and they needed a Spanish-speaking organizer, and it was like, hey, I'm, I'm not loving working at the welfare office. So uh, it was a great chance for me to actually do the kind of work that I wanted to do and, as a matter of fact, also have a,
0: a life. Okay, which is, is absolutely fair. So, um, of course, you know, and and so tell us then, uh, how did Wisdom come about and really uh, give us a real good idea of what it's doing right now in Wisconsin? Sure.
1: So Wisdom, um, you know, we, we began in Micah. We began with, you know, churches mostly on the north side of Milwaukee, which is kind of the, the poorer side of Milwaukee, the side of Milwaukee that uh, most of the African-American community is.
0: Right. Well, and Milwaukee we, you know, Milwaukee is, uh, I think, been characterized as the most segregated city in America. So.
1: Yes. Yes.
0: Um,
1: absolutely. So we built a pretty strong organization here, but we realized if we really, really wanted to make the change on the level we needed to make change, we weren't gonna do it just with people from here. We needed friends. We needed to we needed to combine forces with other people in other parts of the state. Um that, you know, so that we went to Madison. I'll never forget the one time when I was with Micah, we went to Madison and we visited with a Republican state legislator um who was the head of the education committee. And we kind of explained to him that a particular policy was very unfair to Milwaukee. And he leaned back and he said, Well, they didn't elect me to be fair to Milwaukee. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, okay. (laughs) That's telling me something. We got to go find some people in his district because we got to find the people who elect him. Um, So that's the kind of reason that we said, you know, we need to kind of build around the state, we need to build something that can cross geographic and even economic and racial boundaries and really build a, pro, you know, a progressive coalition of people who can, who will stand together.
0: So, uh, and, and, you, and you have how many, how many chapters of Micah in Wisconsin? So
1: there's a, a, about a dozen chapters. They're all okay. different names. So, so it's Micah and Jonah and Joshua and Ruth, and there's all they have all kinds of different names, but they're every city.
0: Okay. So we're about all, different cities. all right. So, okay. And, and wisdom is in, is in those 12 cities as well?
1: Right, wisdom. Wisdom is the umbrella group that all the locals belong. Okay,
0: to. all right, and 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 as you said at the start of the show, that they're very. I mean, we're we're talking different religions, so this isn't a captive of a particular faith. This is a this is a ground roots effort by people to affect social change.
1: Absolutely, and you know, the all the, the different faith traditions, when it comes to things like human dignity and fairness. Um, there's a lot of common ground that uh, that people have, and that's uh, that's what we bring people together around the, you know really that kind of uh, what in the Catholic tradition we call preferential option for the poor exists in some form or another in just about all of our faith traditions that we need to really take the side of the people who are the most marginalized um, and need them to have a voice, and we need for the rest of us to stand with them.
0: But it's not uniform in Wisconsin as far as wisdom's acceptance. Um, You told me that there are um, some some dioceses in Wisconsin that won't allow its its churches to be involved with wisdom. Do I have that right?
1: Yeah, so a couple of the Catholic bishops, you know, unfortunately we have enemies, or maybe fortunately, you know. I actually once took a conference from Gustavo Gutierrez, uh, the liberation theologian, who just had this great line. He said, you know, Jesus' big commandment was love your enemies. So if you don't have any enemies, you're not doing something right. The <laughs> do, so the first thing you got to do is get them enemies. So we've accomplished <laughs> that. Okay. So there's, uh, there's some folks who really, really oppose us and who really loudly oppose us and um, who kind of organize against us and basically especially put a big effort a few years ago into convincing bishops that... They shouldn't support us and that they shouldn't let churches belong, and they were successful with a couple of the bishops. So, give us an example. It doesn't,
0: exa- actually, give us it an doesn't e- actually stop
1: the Catholic mem- Catholic folks from finding a way to be part of it.
0: I'm oh, sure.
1: They'll see this as an essential part of their faith. Unfortunately, just the institutions get uh, hampered.
0: David, give us uh, uh, quickly an example of some impact that wisdom has had in Wisconsin.
1: So, um, well, one that we've had. Um, Pretty recently is we had a big campaign uh, that actually Tonan O'Connor, who was on your show a few weeks ago, was a huge part of to reduce the use of solitary confinement in Wisconsin. We've actually gotten it reduced by about a third. Uh, That's still way more. There's still way more people in solitary confinement than should be. Um, But actually, it's interesting that our Department of Corrections in the Scott Walker administration actually credited us for that. and said, "Well." Wow. You know, we've heard we know we've this is this is a result of changing norms in the community or whatever they call whatever they said about it. So that would be an example. Um, we've got a lot of examples of being able to like extend transit routes, keep transit. A lot of our victories in recent years have been bad things that could have been worse <laughs> that we stopped. Okay. You know, like stopped deeper cuts in the transit system, stop some deeper cuts in some social programs. Okay. Um, We've had uh, actually we've had a lot of success in also in criminal justice They're called treatment alternatives and diversions into the state budget that now funds about seven million dollars a year of directly programs that are people who would have gone to jail or prison, but instead get into a treatment program again this year with our new governor. We're hoping to expand that tremendously, but, you know, seven million dollars is seven million dollars um that was a step in the right direction we've had some things having to do with getting banks to increase the amounts of money that they were loaning to you know individual homeowners here on the north side of milwaukee so there's been a there's been a lot of uh, a lot of different things
0: so it's different areas. all right so obviously broad-based and and as far as my knowledge is we don't have anything like this in minnesota so Um, when we're done with this show I'm gonna talk with you about maybe how we can do some collaboration building but tell me what do you think um, really are the keys here about doing this kind of work and really how does it relate back to idealism you and I had talked about the power of imagination as we prepared for the show will you expand on that will you talk about that please
1: well absolutely I think a huge part of what we need to do in our work is just even Create for people the the possibility that things could be different. It's You know, we have one of our campaigns that we're working on very, very hard right now is to get closed down a place called the Milwaukee Secure Detention Facility. It's a horrible um, state prison, actually, in the middle of downtown. It actually looks like a high-rise office building, but in fact, it's a prison. And as a matter of fact, it looks like it has windows, but it doesn't. Like, you see windows from the outside, but that's a facade, and then there's a cement box inside. Okay. It's a horrible, horrible facility, and most of the people in there are there for for technical violations of supervision. Like, they haven't even committed a crime. They okay. just broke a rule, And they're in this god-awful place. It's very hard to get people to say, you know, people say, well, yeah, but if you closed it, then what would you do? You know, you can't close it. You know, it's there. And it's like, you know, we lived, we lived for hundreds of years without the Milwaukee Secure Detention Facility. We can figure this out. We can, we can think of other ways to deal with people who maybe, um, need help rather than having to lock them up. We can, we can envision other ways of, of, of actually structuring our economy. We can think of other ways of structuring, uh, just about everything. So a huge part of things is to get people to say, you know, it doesn't have to be this way there is actually something else that's possible. And that's really hard, even for our progressive friends sometimes. You know, it's why sometimes progressive folks get stuck into kind of a forward into the past mentality. Like the best we can think of is to go back to 1975 when, you know, some things were better. But it's like, that's not going to get us there. We have to imagine what can be next. And that's that's hard to do. It, you know, it, it takes people being really dedicated to imagining because we very... As human beings, we we adapt really quickly, and then we assume that everything is the way that it has to be.
0: Well, we do, and and I'm a huge proponent of using our imagination to make the world a better place. And, you know, I mean, just look at uh, Alexandria um, Mm Ocasio-Cortez, just, you know, speaking up about the fact that um, no one was paying their interns you know in right, uh, in right. the house of representatives and saying well i'm going to do it and i'm going to shame all of you for not doing it you know i mean right. that's that's use and and she's doing it even before she's doing that and talking about it even before she's sworn in so right. she's like using her imagination i i've got license you know and i'm going to yeah. use it so well listen well, if, go ahead.
1: if if i could one of the things we've done a lot of in, in recent years and that we're really proud of as part of wisdom is that we do have this group called Expo, ex incarcerated people organizing. Right. Look at how to change the criminal justice system. The people who have some imagination about it are people who've been there. Because they can picture, like, yeah, you know, what happened to right. me wasn't inevitable. <laughs> like I can tell you what would have been helpful to me. You know, that we're not looking at things analytically and and that sort of thing, first of all, but first of all we can actually look at Human beings and their lived experience of what they saw and what they heard and what they felt and what could have been different.
0: Well, it's like uh, the people who are administer the SNAP program, food stamps, trying to make decisions about how the how the cards are used or how the program is used. And they've never had to ever worry about you know feeding their kids. Exactly. So it's. Well, David, I have really, really enjoyed talking with you, and I could talk with you further, but but you and I will talk offline, okay? Because I think that there is uh, room here for us to have conversations about collaborating in one form or another. Um, so I want to just thank you for being on the show, being on LE 2.0 uh, radio, and I really appreciate it. So, David, thank you for being here. Do
1: I have a real quick chance to put in a pitch for our, our website? Absolutely. This- Go ahead wisdomwisconsin.org www.wisdomwisconsin.org if you want to learn more about us or you want to get in touch with us or if you want to help us out we would appreciate any
0: of that absolutely and listeners it's the end of the year looks like a great organization to send your checks David Liners thanks so very much for being on LE 2.0 radio and listeners uh, when we come back I'll do my C block about uh, my experience as an idealist thank you L.E. 2.0 Radio. So everyone, uh, this is a little bit of a disjointed show. You're getting uh, seeing, hearing how the sausage is made here, and that's because I had a guest that dropped out and uh, um, did not let me know they were dropping out, so I got stiffed a little bit, but that's the way life goes. All right, I have like a minute and a half to just, in my C-block, talk about one thing, and that's just fine. The thing is forgiveness. Forgiveness. You know, the, the piece, the long piece I talked about in the A Block, about the Atlantic article, really is about how we other people, how we, and, and you know, people are getting othered because of things that they said 15 years ago, 20 years ago. And, and, and maybe they, they've had a change in life experience. I, 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 would, I would hate to think of what, how things I said 15 years ago, how they would sound today. And I have learned so much about the world. And can we not forgive people for past things if they have shown that they have learned, that they've come around, that they've been educated, that they've been enlightened? Can we not forgive them and allow them to continue to lead us, allow them to continue to have a place in our communities? Okay? Why, why, Why are we so judgmental About things that, I mean, think of how different you are today compared to 20 years ago. Wouldn't you want to be forgiven? We need to do that. People change. They do. We now need to allow them the grace for that. Okay. That's the end of the show. A big thanks to my producer, Patrick, who has been doing triple and overtime math here on the show, but Patrick, he did great. And you, my listeners, I hope you've enjoyed this show notwithstanding and, um, please tell others about it. And, uh, please between now and when you hear my voice next, go out, do something good for the world, make the world a little bit of a better place. Okay. Thanks. Take care. Be well.